Is there truly a zero emissions truck? If you've counted yourself among skeptics when it comes to the notion that trucking might one day be an industry built on the foundation of big lithium-ion batteries powering electric motors, new analysis from the American Transportation Research Institute, or ATRI, this week probably raised your eyebrows a little higher, let's say. The organization compared estimated life cycle carbon dioxide greenhouse gas emissions associated with battery electric trucks, diesel trucks, and hydrogen fuel cell trucks from production through to operation and ultimate disposal and found, well, skeptics are justifiably skeptical. Life cycle emissions were highest over time for diesels, but ultimately not by an amount that the proselytizers of electric drive technology love to hype with that quote-unquote zero emissions phrase. I'm Todd Dills, and in this edition of Overdrive Radio, we're going to drop into an in-depth discussion Overdrive News Editor Matt Cole had with Entry Vice President Dan Murray. Beyond the emissions analysis, which we'll hear a lot about throughout the podcast, early on in the conversation, Cole brought up the brass tax issues raised in Etcher's report, having to do with the practical consideration for any fleet, large or small, when considering an investment in a battery electric vehicle, uh, now or in the future particularly. Cutting through the hype around electric trucks, the fundamental practical picture is not a pretty one. Today, often enough wrapped in a shiny package that Murray detailed this way. Right, the, the politics and the PR uh, are major forces behind the motivation to purchase any electric vehicle, but particularly electric trucks. And and I'm glad you sort of highlighted that sidebar. And in some ways, I'm almost embarrassed to say it was a sidebar what, that we have this section called what, what fleets need to know. I think the two most important things, I'm, I'm going to throw in a third. The two most important things now is what is the cost and what is the payback? And the cost of these vehicles using all kinds of transparent empirical data is they're going to be at least $300,000, probably closer to $400,000 when you look at all the components that are going to go into an electric truck. Now what's the ROI or the payback? Well, now I'm going to have to go to my shipper customers and say, well, my, my truck is now more than twice as expensive um, and I'm going to need to get better pricing. And the shipper is going to say, well, what do I get from that? And I'm going to have to say, unfortunately, well, instead of driving five or six or seven hundred miles on a, on a single tank of diesel, I'm going to have to stop every 150 miles to every 200 miles to stop and charge. So you're not going to get the same schedule. And on top of that, the weight of the lithium batteries are going to be somewhere safely between 15,000 pounds and 17,000 pounds. Well, I might get an exemption today, Matt, for an APU of 2,500. That still leaves me losing close to 15,000 pounds of revenue weight. So my message is going to be, it's going to cost you substantially more to move your goods substantially shorter distances and I'm not going to be able to move as much. Difficulty will inevitably extend to the operator of such vehicles too. If I'm going to recruit drivers who are primarily paid by the mile, how am I going to tell them instead of getting paid for six or 700 miles per trip, you're going to stop every 150 miles to 200 miles and charge your truck up again. And by the way, you won't get paid for that. So again, this is the stuff where the technology and the engineering uh, hasn't really caught up yet with the reality of the operations and the regulations that exist in our industry. 
And before we dive all the way in with Cole and Dan Murray though, I wanted to introduce you to the Danville, Kentucky based operation of owner operator Daryl Estes, whose pristine pair of 1980s Peterbilt 359s that I got a close look at during last week's Large Cars and Guitars truck show in Kodak, Tennessee. Regular readers at Overdrive may have seen those rigs in the video that we shared featuring both a 1987 and a fully customer stored 1984 showpiece earlier this week. Estes' story extends back to when that latter rig was but a young pup, and he worked around it uh, with its then-owner, hauling long-distance coal north from the mines of eastern Kentucky. Daryl Estes and we came up with a name years ago, Class Act Trucking. Peterbilt always had those ads with Class Act, so that's what we, that's what we named it. Southwest of Lexington, about 35 miles. Uh, that was back in the 90s and then we quit for a long time and we started back in 2014. We Well, actually in, in the 90s, I had a, another 359. We uh, pulled a reefer with it for about six months and then went back to hauling coal. Okay. And hauled up north and what we call up north from there, hauling long distance coal. It's 87 359, uh, Glenn Hensley. It, it was a, originally a glider. He bought it as a glider and built it himself and ran it for several years and motor went down in it and he parked it in a garage and it stayed there for about 20 years wow. and we dug it out last january it looked pretty much like this well no no, <laughs> no, no. Okay. no it was actually 250 wheelbase originally and okay. it, we big hold what we call big hold it it's got the big big peterbilt ring in it you know for for room so you move the seats back and okay. put more room in them it didn't have a back window in it it was 250 now it's 292 okay. uh, we we put light model uh suspension on the back end of it and we just did a lot of work on the interior and it it's a 3406c wow. uh, we uh stuck with the manual motors like i said it he built it with a cummins and it went down and that's why it sat in the shop all that time he just had too much else to do and he never did fix it okay he said he was going to even when I bought it, he still had intentions of it, but he's he was 79 at the time, and I guess he decided time had, yeah. it was time to let it go. Yeah, so, right. I knew where uh, where this motor was at that had been built, and the guy had intentions of using it. He put everything in it new, and then he, whatever he was going to put it in, he was going to build a wrecker or something. They changed his mind. It was sitting in his shop. And I, knew, I knew where it was at for a year or so. And right. Finally, when I bought this, I just went and got it and put right. it in there. And we put 18 speed in it. They, they both come out with 15 speeds and we put 18 speeds in them just a little more yeah. practical for this day and time. And this one, uh, you are planning to haul with this, right? Yeah, I, that's my intention, yes. Yeah. We haul heavy, heavy loads of coals, uh, okay. covered wagons. We haul 120,000 lo pound loads of coals, what we've done. I had a trailer and I sold it going and I've looked for another one. And, I haven't found one yet, but, okay. but I just got this truck done. I had I had one that I was working, yep. and when that one was coming out of the body shop, I said, I don't need two trucks. Right. And so I was gonna drive this one, and then when I got it out, and I knew the places I go, and uh, I just couldn't do it. <laughs> we worked on this thing for about five years, and all it ever did, it, it was a guy bought it new in 84, uh, and he put it in hauling same thing that i used to do long distance coal from eastern kentucky and 
he had it about a year and he, he sold it to another guy who kept it for about 30 years and he got got older and decided he had to let it go. And another boy bought it and had it about six months and something happened, he sold it and I bought it. I wanted it the first, when, when the guy sold it the first time when I was out working and I couldn't get home to get it, somebody else got it from wow, him. Wow. But I wound up with it and we've done everything to it. We've re wood floors in it and uh, air ride on the front end, uh, flex air on the back end, stretched it to 285 and stainless and the whole nine. You know, back yeah. window, big hold it. We've uh, we put a lot of effort into this one, and that's why it just was seemed impractical to work. This, this is '84. '84. Okay. And this is '87. Okay. '87 is the last year they did those, right? Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's the dead giveaway. <laughs> and originally, this tr this truck came out with a lube refiner and a power steering there instead of a breather. Yeah. And, I, yeah. and even in even I remember I I've worked around this truck when it was you know back in the '80s and '90s and. Yeah. I always hated that. So when I bought it, I said, that's the first thing going to go. We're going to put a breather there. So that's what we did. Right. right. And I, some people love that, but I didn't. Yeah. So this one, uh, but we've changed everything in this one. Or, you yeah. know, this is all new. Everything's yeah. new. And I added those lights. I mean, the lights and these things are hard. The parts are hard to find. So we just put the stainless lights in it. And yeah. Yes, the retro wheel, but we also put uh, tilt wheel in both of them. They, these didn't come with tilt wheels. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. So and that's that's a Ronnie King thing. He does that really efficiently. He, he he did all the the big hole, the stretch, or like yeah. a like model three seventy nine. Yeah. Yeah. They it's not unibuilt because we didn't we I didn't want to I don't know I was just I just didn't want to put the air ride on the cabin sleeper, but we did need the room. I need the room for my legs. Find plenty of views of the rig in that video I mentioned earlier via overdriveonline.com slash custom hyphen rigs, or find us at our YouTube channel. Now, handing off to Overdrive News Editor Matt Cole, going in-depth on the road realities when it comes to battery electric, hydrogen electric, and today's diesels. Here's Dan Murray speaking to top-line findings of Etri's Understanding the CO2 Impacts of Zero Emission Trucks report. Everything, Matt, as you know, comes through a research advisory committee. Um, this was a, a top priority uh, a, a full year ago, uh, and it was probably identified as a priority by our research advisory committee. We nickname that the rack, of course, um, because there's so much sensational headlines about the future being with electric vehicles. Um, we even, you know, even our friend Elon Musk was talking about an electric truck that would get 650 miles per trip, per charge. Uh, and Iraq essentially said, we need to understand uh, what the genesis of this movement is. And in most cases, uh, it's clearly environmental benefits, climate change, et cetera, but also what are the operational and cost implications? Um, and then what are the environmental benefits? So all of that sort of uh, was discussed and ultimately they voted on and prioritized two different uh, electric truck related uh, research studies. One is the life cycle um, emissions impact, which is the report we're discussing today. The other one's equally interesting, which is uh, understanding the 
electric infrastructure requirements for electric vehicles. Essentially, does this country produce enough electricity to power a fleet of 340 million vehicles? You know, of those, anywhere from 3 million to 10 million freight trucks. Uh, and the answer is going to be very, very speculative and, and you know, skeptics might say questionable. But um, that research is underway. We did release, as you know, a comparison report this week looking at a baseline diesel truck today and the full life cycle, uh, we'll call it CO2 production, carbon dioxide production, uh, from production of that diesel truck through the operations and consumption of the fuel and the production of the fuel through the life cycle disposal. And then we compared that to the same sort of methodology of electric trucks and then ultimately hydrogen fuel cell trucks. And the results are really quite surprising. People who sort of view electric trucks as being a panacea and most importantly, truly, you know, CO2 um, eliminated in the process are going to be very, very surprised and probably disappointed, Matt. There are a lot of ways to approach this, and it was most important for us to maintain credibility and transparency that we developed a methodology that was sort of foolproof and beyond reproach. Uh, and so ultimately what we did is we used a publicly available model uh, developed by Argonne National Lab, which is part of the Department of Energy. And it's called the GREET model for short. It, it, it GREET stands for something. That would be G-R-E-E-T, GREET, or the Greenhouse Gases Regulated Emissions and Energy Use in Technologies Model of Analysis. It ultimately calculates CO2 production for key steps in the development of vehicles and trucks. And so we used the GREET model, inputted the uh, requirements of a diesel truck, inputted the requirements of electric, hydrogen fuel cell trucks. We also looked at other variations of that. We looked at, as you know, renewable diesel, uh, and variations of hydrogen production. Today it's produced, believe it or not, primarily by petroleum fuels. You take natural gas and you use that to call out the hydrogen. But there are ways of producing much, much cleaner hydrogen fuel using solar power. And we can talk about that in a minute. But the GREET model gave us outputs to say, at every step of the way, using these three primary truck types, what is the CO2 production? And that was sort of the basis of our analysis. And another important thing we identified in the report that doesn't have anything to do with the production operations and disposal is the geopolitical issues. You know, when you look at what's going on today outside of Ukraine, some of our biggest issues uh, are the relationships, particularly the trade relationships with China. And they're not all trade related. There's also you know, military and, and might sort of questions that are being raised. Well, one of the things we discovered is China is a huge producer, one of the largest producers of lithium. But there's other components that go into lithium batteries, including nickel and cobalt. Well, the Congo in Africa is one of the largest producers of cobalt in the world. And we've now, through this analysis and other uh, sources you can find in the marketplace have determined that China owns probably 60 to 80% of the cobalt mines in Africa, particularly in the Congo. So the geopolitical thing can't completely be ignored in that we know that the trucks today would cost, as I mentioned, 300 to $400,000 at least. 
you know, the first attempt to corner the market in China or Africa with cobalt, nickel, and lithium, these trucks are going to be substantially more expensive unless we develop some, you know, domestic resources. So that's, again, another very important side note for us to consider. So again, the three big components are, what does it take to produce one of these vehicles? Uh, and that we named vehicle production. And what we discovered is that an internal combustion engine truck, which we just call the ICE truck, traditional truck today, um, is about 74,000 pounds of CO2 emissions. And that's gonna seem like a huge number, 74,000 pounds of CO2 emissions per truck. But juxtapose that with a battery electric truck, almost 500,000 pounds of CO2 emissions, much of that related to the mining and production of the battery itself. So we have a, a, a vehicle which a lot of folks in the marketplace are calling zero emissions, zero tailpipe emissions. And that might be true when, when you're on the road, but to get to the road, a battery electric truck is gonna cost produce, I should say, almost six times the CO2 as a traditional truck. And even a hydrogen electric cell truck, which I'm intrigued with, I will confess, is still, you know, almost but not quite twice the CO2 production as a traditional diesel truck. So on the production side, if we don't find ways of developing more sustainable, uh, lower polluting manufacturing uh, processes. Uh, the battery electric truck at the end of the day, at the production level at least, is going to be a black eye on the face of the industry in terms of, you know, trying to do the right thing and trying to affect positive changes in the climate. So production clearly identified battery electric trucks being six times more polluting than a traditional diesel. Uh, when you get into the operations, which includes, by the way, the production of the fuel. So I, you know, what does it cost to produce a gallon of diesel or a kilowatt of electricity or you know, a, a kilogram of, of hydrogen, for instance? We then looked at that operation uh, aspect. And, and again, we saw some pretty substantial differences, but here finally, the battery electric and the hydrogen fuel started to um, show their, their shining face, I'll say. Um, no question. And by the way, the one of the toughest things was to essentially convert energy so that, that a, a gallon of diesel looked like the equivalent to a kilo, you know, kilowatt or, or a kilogram. But there's no question the traditional diesel, you know, if that's 100% of all costs, a battery electric was about 43% lower in terms of producing electricity and operating electric truck. And on hydrogen fuel was 46% lower in terms of producing hydrogen and operating the hydrogen fuel truck. So this is where on the road, we start to see some improvements in the electric truck, I should say, in the hydrogen truck, if I can nickname that. The next voice you'll hear is that of our own Overdrive News Editor, Matt Cole. You know, when you when you consider, you know, tech for battery especially, you know, six in the production side, six times more uh, pollution than, than a diesel. How long of a road life would each of those trucks have to have for, for it to flip, for the battery truck to, to end up being more efficient? Well, and, and I, I'm, I'm glad you asked that. It's, it's another huge issue that really needs to be on the carrier's need to know list. And 
And that is the battery lives. And we basically calculated using the Greek model, you know, a million miles of life for all the vehicles. And, you know, how long will those last getting us to a million kind of thing? And it's, it's pretty technical. But one of the things from the carrier perspective or the truck driver perspective, how long are these batteries going to last, these lithium batteries in an electric truck? Well, at least anecdotally, it appears that they'll last between four and seven years probably closer to the low end of that. That means at the end of four to seven years, you have to switch out the full regimen of batteries. Well, it turns out that these 15 to 17,000 pounds of lithium batteries are probably gonna cost between 85,000 and $140,000 for the batteries to replace them. So every four to seven years, you're gonna be spending another say 85 to $140,000 to switch out the batteries. That's a very expensive proposition to build into your depreciation schedules, your turnover schedules, etc. because nobody's going to want to buy, you know, your five-year-old electric truck when I know I'm on the cusp of adding another round to $100,000. So that's a problem. So we've seen business models crop up, not in reality, but at least on paper, that maybe we just provide rental batteries and you're driving down the road and when you get to the end of the, the battery charge you'll just switch out your old battery they'll take that they'll start charging that and they'll give you a new set and there's a lot of logic to that in the short run but what you know matt from your own smartphone is over time as you charge and recharge and charge and recharge you slowly reduce the capacity of the battery so now what i think i'm getting newly charged batteries they might have been charged 200 times already on I-94 in Minnesota. Um, and, and it turns out that that battery really might only have half the capacity of a new one. So I'm only gonna get half as far before I'm gonna need to charge again. So it is very important that we look at both the cost of batteries as well as their, their life cycle. And, and these batteries will degrade over time as they're recycled, excuse me, as they're charged and recharged more and more. You know, you mentioning I-94 in Minnesota, that kind of made me think, you know, batteries also depend on climate. Um, you know, if you're if you're running the Rocky Mountains a lot, the higher elevations, batteries don't do as well. Um, cold temperatures, batteries don't do as well. Um, is that something Atri's looked at yet as far as? Okay. Uh, we, we, we didn't uh, do our own primary research on battery charges and weather, uh, but there's enough information out there. In fact, the AAA Foundation focused mostly on electric cars did an analysis of temperatures and found out that electric batteries in vehicles uh, under 32 degrees, which is, you know, I'm here in Minneapolis, St. Paul, under 32 degrees is pretty much November through February. Um, they lose up to 40% of their charge. That essentially means when you thought you were gonna get 100 miles out of your battery, you're gonna get 60 miles out of it. Uh, and that's gonna last for as long as the temperature is below 32, which no one knows that. I mean, there's, there's the, the most poor science out there is meteorology. So the idea that I can plan my trips based on, on temperature and weather, as you pointed out, is going to be very, very challenging for any motor carrier. Disposal or recycling of the, uh, of the batteries, um, you know, compared to the disposal or recycling of a, of a kaput diesel engine, you know, what, what did you guys find and uh, how those compared? Well, we, we sort of, um, 
created a placeholder for the, the, the physical vehicle itself, the truck itself. And we said, well, it's gonna generate the same amount of CO2 pollution to basically break down and recycle the physical truck, whether it's a, a battery electric, hydrogen or diesel. But then obviously there's components that are gonna differ substantially. And using the GREET model, we found out that while there is no lithium battery recycling cost to hydrogen and diesel, of course, you are gonna generate almost 50,000 pounds of CO2 to dispose of a lithium ion battery. The worst part of it is if you're really into environmental sustainability, <clears throat> excuse me, of all the major components of a lithium battery, the major components being nickel, cobalt, and lithium, the only material there that can be recycled is nickel. We can't recycle today cobalt and lithium. There's, just, there's not a marketplace and there's also not a scientific mechanism for doing it effectively. So those are still gonna get disposed of in landfills and wherever else, we don't know. Um, but at the end of the day, it's still gonna cost almost 50,000 pounds of CO2 to dispose of a, an electric truck, whereas the total for a regular diesel truck is 2,200 pounds of CO2. A lot of numbers there, but at the end of the day, what we're saying is an electric truck is gonna cost anywhere from, well, let's just resign ourselves to hundreds of times more in terms of pollution uh, than a, a traditional diesel truck would be. So again, the, we, we have a bad habit, Matt, of not looking at life cycle implications. We look at a mile on the road and say, geez, these electric vehicles are awesome, aren't they? And they are. Um, it's to get to the road and to get off the road where the real world costs start to add up dramatically. Considering that full life cycle though, Etri did find net positive CO2 emissions benefits for both battery electric and hydrogen fuel cell technology, even with the former's big production and disposal negatives. There was also another set of possibilities for internal combustion that Murray detailed here too. If you look at the whole schematic of vehicles we analyzed, which again are the three major ones, but we also investigated uh, where um, alternative energy sources are going, uh, wind, solar, etc. And over time, those alt energy sources are going to increase. Uh, we also looked um, at diesel engines that use renewable diesel. And the power of that is that we don't change the truck and we don't change the fuel distribution system, which is essentially non-existent today for electricity and hydrogen. Um, and we found out that, you know, a battery electric truck produces really only about 70% of a diesel truck, which means there's a 30% benefit there. Um, if you get into a regular hydrogen truck today, which is gonna generate hydrogen from, from natural gas, um, the benefit increases to about 45% less CO2 than a diesel truck. If you go all the way to 2050, long, long after you and I retired, um, you're gonna see that a, a battery electric truck then, which will rely much more on solar and wind, will really be about half of what a diesel truck is today. Where I'm really intrigued is that if we use a traditional diesel truck with renewable diesel, which is not well-captured, uh, well-accessible in the marketplace today, and much of it is imported uh, from other countries, we're down to a diesel truck with renewable fuel only being a third 
of what a diesel truck is today. And frankly, the second cleanest truck that will be available in the future is a, is a diesel truck using renewable diesel. And then of course, the very best, very cleanest truck out there will be a hydrogen fuel cell truck that takes advantage of electricity generated from wind and solar. So in other words, I'll produce hydrogen with electricity instead of natural gas, and I'll produce the electricity with solar and wind and other alternative energy. Then you get a truck that is really less than 10% CO2 pollution of a diesel truck today. That's a lot of numbers. And really the only two things you need to know is the cleanest truck we're gonna have out there is gonna be hydrogen fuel cell, which begs the question, are electric trucks just a stepping stone for us to get to the best truck out there, which is gonna be hydrogen? And, and is an electric truck the best stepping stone? When a, when a diesel engine running on renewable fuel is way cleaner than an electric truck. So we're not trying to muddy the water here. We're just trying to get the realities out there so that if we're really committed to climate change, sustainability, and better air quality, certainly in the, the US, we have to have all the data. And the data says hydrogen is better and renewable diesel engines are better than electric trucks by a great deal. You know, as far as the, uh, the the charging or fueling infrastructure that doesn't exist yet for, for electric or hydrogen, which, and this may be for, for the next study that ATRI comes out with, but which of those um, infrastructure systems are going to be easier or, or more cost-effective to build out? Um, you know, is it going to be easier to, to produce hydrogen and, and have it available at like, it, like a normal gas station or, um, you know, producing electricity? Um, I think the first thing, if I could, is to say, how long is it going to take to refill with hydrogen versus electricity? You know, if I have a supercharger today, I'm still going to need, you know, four, five, six hours of downtime for sure. Um, I can I can fill up my hydrogen tank uh, in, you know, minutes, certainly 20 to 30 minutes on the far outside of that. So it's gonna be much more efficient when I'm filling up, so to speak, with hydrogen than it is with electricity. Neither of the systems, the networks, the infrastructures, as you just pointed out, exist today. I really can't charge an electric truck with 120 watts, 240 watts. I need 400 watts or more. Um, and even that will still take uh, several hours. So we're gonna to have to think really hard and long about mapping hours of service uh, to charging because we can't add separately uh, downtime for charging to our existing hours of service regimen. So, you know, that's a long way of saying both of those will have challenges. We'll need to get hydrogen produced domestically. We'll need to focus on hydrogen production that uses electricity rather than natural gas. Uh, and as we move in those directions, we still find the cheapest, cleanest vehicle out there will be the hydrogen fuel cell truck uh, when we resolve the production and distribution of either electricity or hydrogen. But hydrogen is, is much more compelling. Cole brought up the natural gas powered engines that have long been on the market. Though I'll say I've not met an over-the-road owner-operator at any point in the last decade who actually bought and run one of those systems. 
Cole's question to Murray was whether the rig showed similar emissions, positive and or negative dynamics as the comparison between diesels and battery electric or hydrogen electric. We're, we're, we're going to bump up against the same over the road challenges from uh, refilling to natural gas distribution systems, which are essentially non-existent out of urban areas today. Uh, I really do think natural gas is not just promising because it's here today, but it, it makes the most economic and environmental sense uh, in straight trucks and urban settings. Uh, I have distribution systems that are readily accessible. Uh, I certainly can set up distribution systems at my own terminals possibly ship or receiver terminals in the near future. Uh, so in an urban setting, pickup and delivery, um, maybe as far out as regional, uh, that all makes sense, economic sense and environmental sense. But uh, I think the industry is generally slowed down, even dramatically slowed down on over the road natural gas trucks, both you know liquefied and compressed. And we do have data, as you know, in our report on that, um, but I, I think the emphasis today, whether it's the public relations folks or the engineers or even the, the fleets themselves, they're looking at and contemplating electric uh, versus hydrogen right now, I believe. Finally, Dan Murray ended his conversation with Cole with a bit of a teaser for what's coming from his organization's research in this area. That report he mentioned at the top of the talk, looking at power infrastructure feasibility when it comes to the use of electricity to power heavy-duty trucks. There's a very large truckload fleet that happens to sit on my Atri board of directors that went to Joliet, Illinois, and they were going to build a truck terminal there. And they submitted blueprints for this terminal. And because this company is very foresightful, they thought, you know, let's put in 50 truck charging stations, just 50. You know, there's 4 million large trucks out there in the United States, and they're going to charge 50 at this one Joliet, Illinois. So they submitted the blueprints, and the city of Joliet came back and said, what in the world are you building here? And the motor carrier said, it's a truck terminal. They said, well, what's this electric grid and all these components? And he said, well, it's just charging stations for 50 trucks. And they said, that electrical draw for those 50 trucks is greater than the entire draw of the city of Joliet on a daily basis. Duke Energy did its own analysis of charging, grabbed the 50 trucks to see what the demand would be on a daily basis and found out that 50 class eight trucks charged daily has the same draw as the Empire State Building. So we've got some work to do in terms of researching the scale of electric infrastructure we're gonna need just to charge electric trucks, not counting the entire electric vehicle population you know, in the U.S., which exceeds 300 million vehicles. So we're going to have to do some ramping up, Matt. And in our next report, uh, late summer, we'll have some insight for you on that. And that's a wrap. Plenty to think about. Here's a big thanks to Cole and Murray for taking the time with this one. Regular readers may know this already, but here's a little shout to Overdrive News Editor Cole's work on the video series called The 1044, hosted via our sister publication, CCJ's YouTube channel. This interview will also appear there, but you can find a nice archive via youtube.com slash ccjdigital. Scroll down to the 1044 playlist to peruse the wealth of topics from hosts Jason Cannon and, of course, our own Matt Cole. Overdrive Radio is a production of Overdrive, the voice of the American trucker. It's edited and produced by me, Todd Dills, with ongoing support of trucker songwriter and Overdrive contributor Paul Marhofer, 
Podcast is backed up further by Overdrive News Editor Matt Cole, who we heard from today, Social Media Coordinator Holly Young, and Executive Editor Alex Lockie. Keep it right there. Thank you.